There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 266. I have no voice left. I am so sorry. I went to the Walking Dead premiere last night. Uh, I know, I know. Spoiled nerd. Anyway, it was... So fucking unbelievable. I, I'm not am I gonna spoil anything, but it was well worth the wait. Uh, and people were freaking out afterwards. There was a sort of after party where they built this kind of prison set and uh, but it was really loud and so the whole night was just This was really great, wasn't it? And then went through the Walking Dead maze at Universal and there's just a lot of screaming there. God damn, every time you think Okay, I see where the zombie's gonna jump out of the wall. They come from, like, your peripheral vision, and then you can't help but, like, nah! So, uh, no voice today. Should be interesting, because I'm podcasting Lauren Cohan later in the day. Uh, but you should come see us perform at, at uh, New York Comic Con on Friday, October 12th. Uh, Tig is gonna be our guest. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Mr. Joel Hodgson will be there as well. So, uh, tickets for that. Uh, if you go to nerdist.com slash calendar, you can get a link there. Uh, so, that's October 12th. And then I'm gonna be doing stand up on the road uh, at Zany's in Nashville in early December, I think the 6th or the 9th. You can go to nerdist.com and we'll uh, put up the ticket information for that as well. And I'll be doing a bunch of shows all over the place. Uh, I would like to thank audible.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, simply because audible.com has every damn book you could ever possibly want it to listen to. And I'm a huge, I have been listening to audiobooks for years. Uh, even like in the old days where you had like a giant, one of those weird, almost like trapper keeper folders of tapes. Um, it's just, I listen, I'm an on the go guy. I'm not ashamed of it. It's okay. I don't always have time. You can't hold a book up while you're driving in your car, particularly in Los Angeles. They don't appreciate that. If you can't text on your phone, you sure can't read a fucking book. So, uh, audiobooks, great way to go. I, you know, I, I haven't listened to it yet, but, um, Matt Myra, recommended uh, My Mother Was Nuts, a memoir by Penny Marshall, because she reads it, and I totally want to hear Penny Marshall's voice reading, and then my mother was crazy, and then Laverne and Shirley, and then I directed Big. I love Penny Marshall so much, uh, so I'm probably going to, that's the next book I'm going to get, is uh, My Mother Was Nuts, a memoir on audible.com, but there's over 100,000 titles to choose from, every genre, every genre you could possibly want, so visit audible.com slash nerdist, get your free audiobook download today. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is uh, Joe Casey. Joe Casey is one of the founders of Man of Action Studios, which is basically like a uh, comic creative collective. Uh, but they don't just make comics. It's a there's television. They make they make a ton. It it really is just like a creative 
bubble uh, of dudes who all worked for big companies and then kind of pulled away and then formed their own thing. And so um, it's, you know, he's uh, a super interesting guy, has a lot of great advice, you know, particularly if you want to get into comics. But, you know, if you're not if you're not that much of a comic fan, I I feel like there's still enough in this episode that you're not going to feel lost uh, or bored. So um, super great guy, Joe Casey. And uh, here we go. The nurse episode uh, number 266. Nurse podcast. I don't have a voice. I sound like R. Lee Hermit. You gonna go over there with Mary Jane Rotten Crotch? Oh, you just shot yourself in the face, Vincent D'Onofrio. Ah, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Full Metal Jacket. Now entering Nerdist.com. You're gonna go right here. Then this will be your volume right over here. This one or yeah, this one? This one okay. there's Let me childishly say, jam it in that hole. Can you hear yourself? Going a little hotter? Yeah, I can't hear anything. No? Huh? Anything? No, no nothing. Is there's a controller over there? No, no. This 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 would this would be it. Let's try over here. This might be a little blow your eardrums out. How about now? Nope. Nothing. Really? You're not doing it right, Chris. Oh, well. You don't get headphones, I guess. <laughs> really? I don't know. No. I mean, you know... Let me try this one. Yeah, go for it. This equipment is basically just... Uh, that has some sort of a half-life that I'm not sure. Anything? Nothing. I don't know, then. 3,000 years? Like a part-time pack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. That's all right. Joe Casey? Of Man of Action Studios. Jonah Ray is on his way back down from a vending machine to get us water because G4 is dark this week and we can't pilfer their H2O supplies. I apologize. That is not how a guest deserves to be treated. I know I feel bad. When you did Smodcast, was this what it was like? Except it was in Kevin's house. He didn't have any water there either. Actually, Chris lives here. (laughs) This is my house. (laughs) Welcome. Then when do we get to play It's a Small, a small World? Because there's a lot of small world things going on. I keep all those kids locked up. No, no, no. Not that kind of game. But like oh. the fact that... I just got a phone with Mosier. Yeah, we, I work with Mosier. And Joe works with Mosier on the Spider-Man. And I've known Kirkman for like too many years. Well, why did I bring all these Dutch kids then? I don't know. If you weren't talking about the ride. But that's not the best one. What? Now, you grew up in Memphis, right? I did. How, what years did you live there? Um, I was there... Let's see. Well, my my childhood travel is spotty. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. Only lived there for a couple years. Then we lived in Florida for a couple years because my mom was from. Then we moved to Memphis. So from you know early elementary school up until high school, I was in Memphis. Right. Which so. in my head feels like a very long time, but now I'm like, well, that was it. Really, was probably only about seven years. But this would be the 80s, maybe? This would have been the 1980s. The 1980s. And you are from Memphis? Well, I lived in Memphis for... My, I had grandparents that lived there, so I visited there like three times a year. Yep. And I lived there, went to uh, Memphis State when it was called Memphis State. Oh, you mean the University of Memphis, because that sounds fancier. Yeah, it's much better now. Yeah, U of M. Yes. Uh, so I lived there for 
five years, which is not to say I went to college for five years. <laughs> no, I went I to did. college for about three and a half years yep. and then decided, nah. Um, but I was curious because now your dad owned a bowling alley. Still right? has it there. They just had their 30th anniversary. Now, which bowling alley? All-Star Lanes. Where Quince, is it? Quince and White Station. Quince. And wait a minute. Wait. Yeah. Quince and White Station. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is good. Put set your brain on Google Maps. Well, this is right around the corner from street a street view. called Helena, right? Maybe. Okay, I had it. My aunt and uncle lived on that street. Is okay. it right next to the barbecue joint? Yes, three little pi- no, uh, three little pigs. There you go. Mm-hmm. So I've been there. Still many there times. too. Yes, that place has been there as long as my dad's bowling center has been there. Yes, and not only that, I took bowling in college as a sports elective. Oh, you oh, son yeah. of a bitch! And that's, that's where they sent us to take. It's not a thing. It's you a can't thing. Do that. You can. Yes, sports you... elective. You're gonna go bowl. What, what 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 else are you gonna do? Shot put? Pole Come on! Vault, Fuck vault. that! You get it's air conditioning. You get to go inside. It was fantastic. Bowling's fun. Jonah, let me catch you up. Your credit card didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! My throat is already dry. <laughs> want some of this uh, Sprite Zero? <laughs> some SZ? Do you want? No do you want to use my credit card? Yeah. No, no, no. It the it, machine. Like the one next to it takes the card. The one doesn't. The next, you know. The does it take? One. Does it take dollar bills? Dollar dollar bills? Yeah. Yeah, but Matt has to do it. Okay. What? <laughs> uh, don't worry. They can catch me up. <laughs> Here. Here's, you want some dollar bills? Always the guy that carries cash gets fucked. Okay, first of all. He's the one carrying I want cash. you to dance for it. Oh, then no, I will I, stuff I it in your pants. Here, Chris. Okay, well, then I want you to dance and stuff them in your own pants. You know what? I'll be back. I want to know why you said the guy carrying cash always gets fucked. That's He's a, carrying cash, and he was about to give you some. That's a self-starting no, no, stripper no, no, I mean, right there. To go upstairs. I don't mean having to pay. I don't mind that. Here, do you need my card to get back in? Physical activity. Do you need my card to get back in over here? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I need the key to your Jaguar. What? Yep, just what? Nope. I didn't. Okay. What are you talking about? What Jaguar? Don't be wow. ashamed of it, Chris. You can... <laughs> no one, no one. You're, it's not like you're driving around in your Jaguar going, oh gee, oh boy, I can't what? believe I'm I don't, in this. Don't, I don't know what he sees me. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're... <laughs> you're talking about it's all right. I bought an actual jaguar. I think there was some confusion. I ride around a on, a on a jungle cat, the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So funny to go from the humble beginnings in Memphis to a jaguar. I don't. I mean, again, guys, this is <laughs> these are very big words you're throwing around yeah. right now. I uh, nice I don't faded tea. Ta- Tell us more about your jaguar. <laughs> Jonah, I... <laughs> You're taking the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being here, Joe Casey. We're about at our five and a half minute mark. Which is, uh, um, but uh, but enough about uh, expensive vehicles. Um, I, uh, I'm i glad to have you on. I, I, I really... I, I think the Man of Action Studios initiative is a very interesting model, and I think something that I think would be of interest to our to our listeners sure. as well. But just basically getting a collective group of really smart, creative people together who are like, let's make our own thing and make cool stuff. Like, that's, that's a fucking great... That's a great model. And I think we one We them is, all with the smart part. <laughs> <laughs> but ben, people probably know Ben 10. Um, you if, know, you're either, if you're either a seven-year-old child or the parent of a seven-year-old child, you yeah. probably know Ben 10. And the other Joe was on uh, Comic Book Club. That's right. Um, talking about uh, Spider-Man. That's right. Which we also, we produced that show. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So what, you know, uh, what, I mean, you, you guys are all uh, comic writers in your own right, but mm-hmm. what was it that made you go, this moving picture thing is the way to go? Well, it was really, 
it's so lame and it's really kind of the company line where it was we started the company about mm, 10 12 years ago yeah just to go to San Diego and have a place to sit. Wow, water. <laughs> I remembered that I'm on the network, and I asked security to open up makeup, and they said, okay. Oh, good. And they asked me about the iPhone 5. So you didn't have to pay for anything. <laughs> Why right. do they keep calling it the iPhone 5? It's the sixth iteration of the phone. Why didn't you get me a water? Uh, here, right here. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know I had to bring my own water. You, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you should have had dollar bills. I should probably take my wallet back. I guess so. <laughs> Jeez. So I'll, get it. I'll get it later. There's a slight bit of anger behind that throw. That no, slight was... bit of anger behind everything he does. <laughs> it wasn't a toss. Oh, really? It was a throw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just thought. Oh, is this your ball? Is this your ball? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when you have a Jaguar. And, uh-huh. and, <laughs> <laughs> you know you guys when you drive down your street Jag- Jaguar? Jaguar? <laughs> You're going to say Jaguar now? Are you going to do that? Jaguar. Like that? Jaguar. I still have not admitted anything. About oh, anything. fair enough. Um, but uh, we were just—I was just talking to Joe about uh, about the sort of the Man of Action Studios initiative. I mean, a very sort of similar thing to what I think we did, or what a lot of like uh, uh, creativity types have done. Of yeah. just saying, "Hey, why don't we just partner up with people we like and just make stuff we want to make?" Right, and from that, as you guys have learned, you create your own space, you create your own career, really. Yeah, you know, which is what we ended up doing. So we need to make a Ben 10 and then we sit on money, right? That's it. it yeah. yeah, they don't yeah. even spend You can all have Jaguars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is reference, <laughs> reference to this car that I still have not admitted anything about. Uh, that I edited out. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We're going to make Ben 11. There's one more alien. It's one more alien. Yeah. So what, when, did, when did Man of Action Studios uh, start? It was... 10, 12 years ago, we'd all known each other. We'd all worked on the big franchises at Marvel and DC. Sure. We worked on the X-Men together. And then we moved over to DC. We worked on Superman together. Yeah. Because, you know, they have like multiple titles of those right. books. And um, we just got to know each other over the years and got really friendly. Three of us lived in LA, and so we started hanging out. And then uh, as San Diego started to grow and swell, we figured, well, if we had a table and we all sat together then we wouldn't have to walk around be easy on our feet be great <laughs> yeah and um and during that whole period as we were just kind of and we we're thinking ah, maybe we should do like a website you know that was it was those days where we thought, hey, maybe let's build a website together. One we, of those internet sites yes, that people yeah. are always it talking about. It was very about. charming back then. Lots of Flash animation. Yeah, GeoCities or AngelFire. We were deciding. It was a toss-up. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of that I was writing... Um, Uncanny X-Men, the monthly series at Marvel. And Activision came to me and said, we're going to do a video game, an X-Men video game, a new X-Men video game. And do you want to write it? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> but it was into a different media. And I, and I knew how much work it was going to be. And I knew how much money they weren't paying at the time. So I thought, let me get my bros in to do most of the work. Yeah. And I'll do as little work as possible for one fourth of the money. <laughs> oh, that's genius! And we got we got to brand ourselves, and um, and that game came out. And it was it did fairly well. Um, so that kind of started how we branched out from comic books because we I mean we had no plan at all. And I think the next thing that really happened was 
we were friends with Matt Senreich, who co-created Robot Chicken mm-hmm. with Seth Green. But he worked at Wizard Magazine for a long time. In fact, Robot Chicken kind of sprang out of Wizard Magazine. They did a magazine called Toy Fair, which was all the action figures posed in silly pictures. Seth loves the toys. <laughs> he loves does. the action figures. Mods the action figures. Yes. He's masterful. So Matt had sold, they had sold Robot Chicken, and the guy at Cartoon Network said, look, we want to do an original superhero show because they'd been licensing DC stuff and apparently were sick of it. Um, which you tend to get when you deal with big corporations. So we went in and we pitched a bunch of stuff and Ben 10 was one of them and they bought it. And at the time it was like, wow, cool. We get a show on the air, maybe. And then it took about two years of development and then suddenly it was on the air and then suddenly there were bed sheets and (laughs) toothbrushes, toothbrushes, (laughs) medical supplies, backpacks. It's also nice that the name rhymed too. Do you think that helped some too a little bit in the pit? Those are the kind of things in pitches that that you know it's like you've worked so hard on the content of the pitch, and then you're pitching to some network guy. And they're like, I really liked that that rhymed. You're like, really? But what about all the content? Yeah. Ah, fuck it, that's it, fine. Well, the content all didn't change. I mean, it got had it got added to. I mean, basically, we were like, he turns into ten things. You know, <laughs> it's a kid who turns into ten superheroes. And that kind of morphed into alien superheroes. And I mean, it went through the typical Hollywood bullshit development process. Right. And then it was a hit, which was quite shocking. <laughs> Why is that shocking? Well, because well, you, you never expect anything. And you? I have no, they hate when I say this, I have really no animation thing. Like, I have no real Jones to be in animation, ironically. So I had no grounding in like, oh, well, this happens, then this happens, and this happens. I had no sort of path that we could follow. I just thought, well, we have a show on the air. It's a nice line on your resume. And then uh, who knows what happens after that? I didn't think anything would happen after that. And each year that table at Comic-Con grew. It did. Have you updated your resume yet? Uh, slightly. <laughs> we put Spider-Man on it. <laughs> yeah. But we also created another show at Cartoon Network called Generator Rex. Yeah. Um, and we're doing other shows. Uh, now we're getting into sort of global partnerships with companies in korea and france and you know it's sort of all over the place big time now yeah now it's all big time yeah is the is now a bad time for people to try to enter the comics business or a good time like as for for young writers who want to um it's always a good time good i think it's a good time to get in there and be exploited by the big companies make (laughs) a little bank build your name up it's a good time to uh, put out properties that you own. You know, Kirkman's a good example of that. It kind of worked out for him. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty good time, but I mean, you have to love comics. That's kind of my only criteria is that people who sort of are doing the bandwagon thing, like, oh, comics are kind of where it's at. Let me take my old screenplay that didn't sell and just do it as a comic. <laughs> right. Maybe then it'll become a movie. I, that shit kind of pisses me off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't write comics the same way you write a movie. No. Like the uh, the it, it's it's just a different it's just much more it's I think I think it's actually and this is going to sound weird to say. I think comics are strangely more visual than film yes. in a way because they you have because you have so li- you have so few pages in which to tell a complete story and that you can't kind of you can't distract people with motion and sound right. <laughs> like it just has to be like the action has to be really engaging and you don't have a lot of room to overwrite yeah well and the better the comic the more an interactive experience it is movies yeah. is a spectator sport but comics a reader brings just as much to the experience as the comic 
gives to the reader if it's a good one. Yeah. You know, I mean, and con- the thing about you know somebody taking their old screenplay and making it into a comic is they're expecting it to be a spectator sport like a movie would be or a TV show. Right. But that's just not what comics are. You yeah. Know? They're closer to video games in the fact that you're in command of a lot more. You're in command of pace. You're in command of how fast you read it, how slow you read it. Um, and you, you, a reader brings as much information between the panels as anybody, you know. And it's sort of a comic book creator's job to try and exert as much control as they can. You know, slow the reader down when you want them to slow down or speed them up when you want them to speed up. So it's, I mean, it's definitely more of an art form than even sort of mass media as it's become big movies and TV shows sort of gives it credit for, you know. I mean, yeah. to do a good comic is, it's a skill. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I've I, I've had offers to write comics and I just get kind of like, uh, I, I don't know if I'm that, I mean, I don't know if that's my... What kind of offers <laughs> might I ask? <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> okay. But they are... High and lowest. <laughs> The Mary Worth, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rex Morgan, MD. Yes, yes. And turning Prince that into Valiant. a graphic novel. Prince Valiant. Love yeah. that haircut. <laughs> Marmaduke, my Get Off the Couch series. Yeah. Um, Hagar the Horrible. Yeah. Hagar the Horrible, the yeah. The Beetle, ba- Beetle Bailey. The, the, the near yeah. side is going to be a good one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the near side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just blurry versions of the far side. Either that, or, no, that's, that's funnier than my bit. I was gonna say, or it's just really obvious, like how the dinosaurs became extinct, and it's just like an asteroid hit. Yeah. Like it's it's not. There's no irony in it whatsoever. Yeah. They're just no irony. What straightforward, straightforward comics. I'll never fly. There is a title of an existing property that said, "Would you like to write some issues of this?" Let me uh, let me and try then I to. Said to you, go ahead. Let me t- tell you, somebody at either DC or Marvel. No. No, Dark Horse. Uh, no. no, I'm not going to say. Think of who he knows. Stop it! <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know either, but oh, gotcha. it's kind of fun. Oh, I think I know now. Oh, he said he started. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you should do it if you like comics and you think you want to. It's a good challenge, Chris. It is a good challenge, but. Uh, yeah, you do. You just. My try. plate's a little full at the moment. Try writing one, and then if you like it, then say yes. No, uh, that's a, they that's can a good only idea. Offer, like a string, right? It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, uh, you know, I know that there's a specific art, art form to it uh, that I just feel like I'd want to practice a lot before. I'll I, ghost write it for because you. I don't I don't look at it as a kind of thing like, oh, I know how to write. I could probably just go write a comic like I don't I don't I don't think. And, and I do like comics, but um, I'm not, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I had a very specific experience with comics that veered me away from them for really? a while because my best friend, uh, my best friend was, was beat up by a comic once. Mm. <laughs> my best, no, my this kid that I was best friends with was awesome. Like he was a nerd, but for some, there was something about him that he just didn't take shit from people. And so, like when people would try to bully us, he would instantly just hit him in the face. Like there he was go. the best kind of pal to have in like sixth and seventh grade because wow. I was afraid of confrontation. And, you know, like some kid would get in his face and just without even thinking, he would just like cold cock him and then no one fucked with him. And he had the most insane. His name was Mike Soper. I fucking love that kid because he he was he wasn't any bigger than me. He just didn't take shit from people. And he fucking loved comics to the extent that in his attic, 
you know, like every every week he would go to the store and buy two versions of everything. Oh. One that he kept in the Mylar and one that he would carefully remove, read, and then carefully replace so that it was in slightly worse condition. And it, his collection was insane. Like just the the um the Long crates boxes. and crates of and boxes of everything was organized by uh you know by universe and character Jeez. and era and and as a you know like a 10 10 11 year old kid I was like oh I I don't think I'm going to put this much effort into this <laughs> like I mean it was so far over uh and 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 I and at the same time as when I got my first computer and I started getting into video games right. and and you know like action figures and so for me collecting comics just wasn't I didn't understand in my child brain, oh, you can just buy them and read them for yeah. fun. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be a fucking job. But let me ask you something. So he bought two copies of everything. Yeah. But did he keep them in separate places? He kept them in separate places. Okay. He had bins of ones that were never opened and bins. Of, and the, so, so imagine there are two different versions of everything within this filing system. Oh, okay. No, wait, oh, see, that's ridiculous. Because if you're going to have two things, you want to separate them by location. So if... The attic burns down. Yeah, you right. still have everything safe in the basement. Exactly. So oh, no, I don't remember. I don't remember that he had anything like that. I think they were all just in one. Like his parents had their attic had been turned into a rec room, and I just remember just this carpeted rec room, just one of those '80s houses, uh, and it was just you know those fucking boxes as far as you could see. And it just it just freaked me Did out. Did you go with him to buy comics? Yeah, I would go with him. This would be Memphis Comics this and Records, or prob- uh, probably or whatever you know, whatever at the time in the eighties. Uh, so I remember open. was on uh, Highland. Was it on Highland? Yeah, it was right uh, next to, to the University of Memphis. Yes, right near where I uh, saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure in the movie theater. It was right <laughs> down from yet another barbecue place. What yeah. <laughs> in Memphis? <laughs> Um, oh, I miss Memphis barbecue like a lot. It. No, Memphis. I was excited to come here because I don't know anybody in my adult life that lived in Memphis long enough to know about it and remember it. And oh yeah, yeah, I just went back. Yeah. Um, my my girlfriend Chloe and I just went back and visited my dad um, for a few days, and uh, it was great. It was great. Are you from there? I lived there for five years. I had oh, you were on your water there. trip. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And did you already your talk failed about your failed water if, trip? If he, uh, bold. I can talk about Memphis dance. like the whole thing, you know. I, mean, I just I loved the town. I loved being. Did you there. ever go to All Star Lanes? I did. All the, I went to. I oh, was wow. a, had a bowling class in college. That Memphis was Memphis is great, and we went to you know we swung by the old Pink Palace Museum, which was right. awesome. And the I I drove her by the zoo. We didn't go in, but the zoo is Egyptian themed. Because uh, uh, Memphis is the sister city of Memphis, Egypt, or <laughs> or so they've claimed. <laughs> I don't know if Memphis, Egypt, is aware of this. Uh, Memphis, Egypt has their own Mud Island, which is <laughs> a whole theme park about Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, Mud Island is basically a weird barbecue. Mud Island was a silt deposit that started forming in the Mississippi River uh, a long time ago, and then they were like, "Well, we should just build shit on that." And so then it became an island, and they called it Mud Island because it is literally a silt deposit. And then I remember when they built Mud Island Amphitheater was where I went to see my first concert that I. My parents took me to concerts that they wanted to see all the time when I was a kid. This was the first one I wanted to see was Men at Work. Oh, nice. And In Excess opened for them. Wow. That would change soon enough. <laughs> it did. Wow, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Mud Island. Mud Island Amphitheater. Still there. Yeah. The pyramid. They built the pyramid there. Pyramid there, which is now... So Memphis builds this pyramid, you guys. And did it's gonna Egypt be, it, build theirs to in honor of yeah. Memphis's? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you know there was there was an alien race, and that's how the appearance were built. And so they had this prism that they could see into the future. And so they saw Memphis <laughs> built this, Stargate. and then in the past they Stargate. built it. Stargate, Stargate, Stargate. Wow, great. 
<laughs> You're just like Quaid. Yeah. So they, Memphis builds this pyramid. It's going to be this mega arena that's going to house all of the sporting events and be this huge centerpiece in downtown Memphis where they were trying to revitalize at the same time as Beale Street. Because uh, downtown was getting a little dumpy. A little sketchy. A little sketchy. And so they build this pyramid, and then uh, it almost instantly fails. <laughs> well, they had the big axe came through. I remember I saw Guns N' Roses there. I saw Billy Joel there. I saw Kiss there. It wow. didn't. It didn't last long. It was a few years. Now the pyramid is the world's largest bass fishing supply store. <laughs> I believe. Is it a bass pro shop? Now? I think it might be, wow. or it's Those something. I don't know. But anyway, my dad was saying like, yeah, now it's now it's all bass. Now it's all sport fishing. So they this fucking pyramid. A pyramid is all devoted to bass fishing. That's insane. If, and it was a venue before that. It was what? It was a venue before. It was a, ve- that. No, a sports arena. Twenty thousand seater. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. That wow. it's just a store now. <laughs> and a it's, store. It's that- big enough that they could build a bass stream in it and then have people fish like from stage like it's a concert. Oh, uh, they, well, I don't know if they did. fish bass- in it? No, I don't know oh, if you can. Sorry. I'm just saying you. <laughs> no, could, you it's can. big enough that if you could. If it's a bass pro shop, you can. It's big what? enough that you could. Yeah. That's how big. That's how big the pyramid is. I'll have to go back and see this now. Do you remember if I said Mongo's? Would you remember that? Uh, oh yeah, Mongo's. You mean the uh, like the fifties kitschy shop? Well, it was a there was a guy there, and I forget what the guy's name was, but he sort of ran. He was like this weird sort of character downtown. I remember his name was Doctor Mongo or not. But there was like a weird club that kind of went away while I was. Oh no, I was thinking of a vintage store. Yeah, I just want to oh. let you know that the bass. Pro Shop Pyramid in Memphis will open in the fourth quarter of 2013. Oh, okay. It hasn't opened yet. Oh, my God. So right now, they're just filling it with bass. I was almost hoping it was a bit that I was going to play along with. No. You know what would be fucking awesome? is 220,000 square feet. Right? If they just filled the entire pyramid almost up to the tip with with fish, and then you could just walk up to the tip and just fish from it. Yeah. And then just slide back down. Just the tip. Yeah. Just the tip. Just the tip, just the tip, bass fishing. But there's no reason to go back to Memphis except to visit if you have family. Visit my dad, yeah. Nothing yeah. happens there. No, anymore. but it's a nice town. Like, I really I like the vibe there. of it. I like the vibe. Of it. And the weird thing about Memphis is that apparently, you know, my dad was saying that it's, you know, the city's kind of fallen into a bit of disrepair. He says it's like, it's like we're in, we're usually in the top three crime category, in yeah. every crime category in Memphis. But I didn't feel unsafe when I went there. Like, it feels like a nice little city. All my relatives moved out first to Germantown, then to and Collierville. Collierville yeah. yeah, so it's like the white people exodus of a typical southern burg. But didn't that happen most, like, a lot in the, like, uh, late 70s and early 80s where everyone just kind of started pushing out more? Yes. But Memphis yeah. kind of hung in there. When I lived there... I lived in Midtown, and then I lived downtown. Midtown's nice. It was nice, but then I went back uh, probably about six years ago. And I, when I went to Memphis State, I lived in an apartment that was sort of in fraternity row. Yeah. And it was t- typical sort of motel-style apartments. Two levels, door, all doors facing out. You yeah. Know? And it was fine. I went, but I went back there, and it was, I went to the place that I lived, and it was like a crack house. Oh, shit. I mean, disrepair would be a nice way of putting it. I just thought, I hope it didn't look like this when I lived here. <laughs> or my but, parents. But you had, you, had, you had your college goggles on. You're like, hey, this is yeah. just a house. I it's a place. It's a palace. But exactly. Exactly. Anything to keep me out of the dorms. The Pink Palace Museum, guys, just for a little trivia, huh? was, the, was the house of the founder of Piggly Wiggly, which is a very famous oh, wow. old uh, grocery store the chain. And then, uh, and then... Uh, and then I guess they lost all their money or something, and so the house got 
taken by someone and turned into a museum. Now, mm-hmm. were, if you went to, were you in there in your high school years, were you cool enough to go to the Antenna Club? No, no, I I, I moved <laughs> away. Like place you have to be cool. I moved away to to. in the middle of my senior, in the middle of my freshman year of oh, high school. Okay. So right. I wasn't old enough to really go anywhere. Gotcha. Uh, my mom remarried. We moved away, and uh, and so. I haven't, I haven't lived in Memphis for a long time. People who wa- listen to this podcast, who live in Memphis, they're loving this. They're going to be loving this podcast. All four Memphians yeah. who listen to the podcast yeah. will love it. Memphis is a very cool town, though. It's like there's there's cool, fun, smart people there. There's nerds. You know, it's a good it's a good town. No real comedy scene in Memphis that I'm aware no. of. Strangely, no, like, I mean, there must be some sort of underground show somewhere, but club comedy clubs always fail in Memphis. There was one club that I remember. That comedy o- Tennessee. No, well, the one that I remember was on Overton, Overton, Overton Square. Overton Square, yeah. Right there on the corner, yep. across from Rascals. Yep. Uh, I remember. I, I'd been there. Oh, Rascals? No, no, the, 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 the oh. comedy club in Overton Square. Yeah. And now Overton Square is a, is fucking ghost town. Is it really? There's nothing there now. Oh, we drove we drove by it. So I was, I was like, oh, you got to see Overton Square. There's it. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's still buildings there. Yeah, <laughs> but there's nothing. There used to be like an ice skating rink and all sorts of fun, and you know. You know, there was a um, one of my last experiences there before I moved away. I played in a band there, and they had this music festival called the Crossroads Music Festival, which was supposed to be this citywide. All the clubs. Is out- it the music festival where Ralph Macchio has to play the devil, played by Steve it Vai? Is. It is. Okay. It is, and loses for some. Or Steve Vai loses. What universe? Seriously, well, it's because he didn't practice classical scales. That's why Steve Vai loses, as we all remember. That must be. Yeah, it. the devil always takes that part for granted. Yeah. Lost well, to Charlie Daniels too. <laughs> so, um, so I, there, this music festival, as with all things in Memphis, it was kind of shoddily run, and. Uh, <laughs> So as a kind of a fuck you to this music festival, which I, my band was so low on the totem pole that we didn't get in the first year, I wrote this song that just kind of blasted the thing. And I knew people sort of, guy who worked at the Memphis Flyer I knew. Yep. And um, so the song got around. So the next following year, I got this call from a guy who was a sort of a promoter in town and said, I don't even remember what the guy's name was, so-and-so wants to see you. And I was like, who is this person? Just come meet him. And you ever see the movie... Uh, the Favreau movie Made. Yeah. Uh, he was like the Peter Falk character in Made. <laughs> <laughs> Down to having like horses p- pictures in his office. And it was oh, like boy. a local kind of, like like a mafioso, kind, but in the South, you know. Right. And he had me in and he was like, I heard your song, man. thought it was good. He was actually charmed by my chutzpah. Oh, right. And kind that of you would ha- spit in the face of his festival. Yes. Mm. And so he, which he did not, he was not connected to by name. Oh. Nor is he connected to many of the strip clubs that existed around the airport, if you recall. Nah. So he started by having name. you run errands for him around town. It was like that Simpsons episode where Bart shows up <laughs> and, and Bart is... in Manhattan. Yep. Yes, yeah. exactly. But then I, Principal Skinner keeps him, and then one day he's... He, he, the other guy makes a, a lifeless Manhattan. That's right. Yeah. And he, I hung, I just went, would hang out in his office, which was just right in the center of Overton Square. He was not off in the boonies somewhere. He was kind of right in the middle of it all. But just this kind of nondescript office. And I was 22 years old. I didn't know any better. Yeah. So that's interesting, you know. Hey, if you want to work over there with your shirt off, I'm just saying. Surrogate father figure who might have some shady business dealings. And I think the promoter guy who kind of wrote me in at some point was like, don't, don't hang around here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. For your own good, don't hang around here anymore. You don't ask questions. In. So uh, I thought, okay. Don't look through anything. Don't I scoop. took that advice. Not only that, I moved the fuck out of town. I just got out of there. Where did you go after Memphis? L.A. Oh, you came to L.A., yeah. straight to L.A.? Yeah. And did, 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 did comics start in Memphis for you? 
I was submitting stuff. I submitted I submitted stuff to DC when I was 15 years old. Yeah. That's how deluded I was. Did you get the like uh did you do you draw as well or just draw you I don't write? draw. No. No. So you didn't get the how to draw the Marvel way or oh, anything. I got that book. Yeah. Anything that was about a how-to book, I was like right on. Oh man, I used to I had that book. I used to try to draw the shit out of that stuff. Yeah. I that couldn't. scene where the guys on the rooftop and Spider-Man webs his leg. Oh you know, man. It's a famous scene that's never been in any comic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was into anything that was sort of like, that was my, that was how much of a geek I was for comics. It wasn't just reading the comics. It was getting the fanzines in the day, like the comics journal and amazing heroes and comics interview the all the kind of behind the scenes, you know, magazines yeah. that I would get and sort of devour and pour over and went to, went to the Atlanta fantasy fair before it was dragon con. It was called the Atlanta fantasy fair. I went there a couple of times and they had a pathetic convention in Memphis that was in the Omni Hotel when it was the Omni, the big circular hotel, mm-hmm. right where the loop kind of runs through Midtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a convention there. I remember going there in like 89, like right when I moved there. So um, there wasn't much of a sort of, a, there wasn't much of a geek scene in Memphis either. Talking about no comedy. There was no scenes of any time. My geek scene was built around the, um, uh, I went to a small school that was kindergarten through 12th grade. And I feel like there were only even a few hundred people in it at that. Right. And um, and I, I for me it was uh, chess club, and then <clears throat> the chess club was the same as a computer lab. Mm-hmm. And so you know, for me it was just cl- chess club, computers, video games. You know, la- that was around the time where I got the, you know, my TRS eighty, and then the TRS eighty color right. computer two, and the. Um, now, was the first computer lab in your school, like, in the closet somewhere? Like, they just found a space? No, it was actually the high school math teacher was the chess coach, and he also had the computer lab. Mm-hmm. And so there were there was a bank of, I want to say, like, six Apple IIe's. Wow. Um, That's pretty good. So me. it was not... Uh, yeah, yeah. The bowling dollars sent uh, Chris Hardwick to private school. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. uh, so we had, the, all the, we had the Apple II. Yeah. Stop it with that. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I just. What'd you get in your eyes, money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm crying Sacagawea dollars <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Guys, please. We can still be friends. <laughs> I, you know, I have a higher echelon of culture that I'm accustomed to now. Chris, I, I don't know if you realize this, but you're speaking in a highfalutin British accent. I'm sorry, Jonah. Could you say it to Monica, my assistant? <laughs> <laughs> Could you please schedule your comment with Monica, and then we'll have a talk about it later. <laughs> Guys, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm. <laughs> what are we, six months out of that really happening? <laughs> <laughs> please, guys. Nothing has changed, except I have less time for you. Let him drive that Jaguar in Memphis and see how far he goes. But I don't... <laughs> uh, I mean, it's... Be a whole different story. It's really pretty, you guys. <laughs> Weird choice going with the chrome. Like, what the whole chrome? thing. <laughs> oh, I just want the kids to think you're driving <laughs> that Fisker that's beaver. Chrome Jaguar. He hopped into the bit. What are you talking no, about? No, I am doing a bit too. <laughs> <laughs> we are rife with bits today. Oh, well, so many Jaguar bits. Stop it. <laughs> wow. So, um, <laughs> do you want to write a, a comic about Jaguars and then how one? Uh, I'm taking mental notes. As transformed into. Uh, <laughs> I'd more go psychological. A guy who's ashamed he's driving a Jaguar and somehow <laughs> comes to grips with it. <laughs> the Dark Knight Returns. Of the Jaguar. Right, he tinted the windshield. Listen, if you want to be, if, if 
Okay, listen. Since since we're since you're talking about it, mm. I may or may not have gotten this car you were speaking of. So wow. Because no one's gonna cry sellout. Well, <laughs> they'll scream it. But. I literally only said, "Give me the keys to your Jaguar," as though I was going to steal your car, regardless of whatever car type you had. I would have said the name of whatever car you had. Fuck. It just so happened that I know that you have a Jaguar. I feel bad about it. Was two it. Two weeks ago, I would have said, "Give me the Audi keys." <sighs> I feel really, really bad, bad about, about it. it. You would drive a Leaf like Will Ferrell. <laughs> that he was probably given. Let's yeah, be yeah, honest. sure. Yeah, sure. Joe, I, what do you drive? I, you got you got Ben Ten money. I drive a Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What do you got? SL two. What do you what do you drive? Ion. No, it's like an L three hundred. I felt like I'm one. Oh, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. I just made this decision where I'm like I'm one car away from getting an environmentally friendly car. What? You, you have to go up to the top. And then come back down. Uh, the ja- Jaguar's not the top. What Jaguar's the not top? the top. Uh, you, you'd have to start Maserati? getting into like Aston. Aston you know what? Mm, no. Since we're on car no. talk, no. I don't like no. Maseratis. The no. technology on Maseratis is not that no, great. it's very behind. Italian way cars behind, are overrated. Way right? behind. Um, I would say, you know, you'd be getting up into Aston Martin. The Virage is a very nice car. The which they, what you, like The Maserati is what you get when you can't afford an Aston Martin. The Aston, How do they compare to my Honda Fit? <laughs> Pretty well. I mean, gas mileage. Can I tell you winning. something? Let me tell you this: your Honda Fit has better technology in it than the Maserati or the Aston Martin, for yeah, that no, matter. Because I got paddle shifters. On it's my it's not wheel. that, but you can probably you can probably <laughs> you, never use you only can, by accident. You can go, probably Bleh. Bluetooth. You can probably Bluetooth your iPhone to your car. Uh, that was a that was an upgrade. I wasn't willing to. Pay but the for. Fa- the fact is, you could. Fact is, you could not in my my car in a car. Air conditioning first, and then maybe and then pretty then much. Then. My yeah, air conditioning's yeah. broken. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, that's a Wrangler. Jeep. I can just take the top off. <laughs> I just like pretty cars. I, I like really pretty Chris, cars. No one is faulting you for this. No, but I feel like Except a douchebag about it. Yourself. I feel like a cock. Don't can worry I tell you when it. I drove that car off well, a lot? After the podcast. Yeah. And- <laughs> when I drove that car off, the, I'll cut all this out. What did you learn about Joe Casey? Well, well Chris, Chris is learning Jaguar. about Chris. When right I now. drove that car off the lot, and then we'll get to you. Uh, <laughs> We should have it, and then we'll get to you. I ha- I still feel guilty about it. Really? I still feel guilty about it. You should have gone to the, the worst guilt? neighborhood with running over that old no, no, no. jaguar. Well, that's that's, that's big. That's a big part of the guilt. So what is the what is the guilt you feel? Well, I, the thing that you've worked uh, twenty years to earn. I just feel like I don't deserve it. I feel like it's too much of a nice car. Is it and the people I, around the you world? You don't, and it need. is. But just get used to it. <laughs> Shut there up. And I was just wondering if it was you know, or the the people in. Los Angeles that need money for schools. Well, I mean, I Joe, mean what, was, what was the guilt? Where the Joe's guilt not off the hook. The L three hundred was the top of the line Saturn when the company still existed. Yeah, so. back in two thousand five. Yeah. Do they still? Do, so they uh, Saturn doesn't exist anymore. No, yeah. I know, but yeah. do, so because uh, there was because Saturn the, going back to Memphis, the Saturn plant was in Memphis. No, it was in Tennessee. It was in Tennessee. It wasn't yeah. in Memphis. Right. But that was a big deal when they put that Saturn plant in Tennessee because it brought a lot of jobs. Yeah, at least a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's pressing buttons. I remember well, we, all the machines do the work. We went shopping for when Saturn first came out. My parents went to go. They were looking at them, and they had this door. Their big thing was the dent-resistant panels on the doors, and they had a door that you could hit with a sledgehammer. Really? Yeah, and it wouldn't dent it. It was pretty great. And that's the reason you get the car. Those didn't last either. Comes with think. a sledgehammer. No, they didn't. Yeah. But. uh Let's talk about comics a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so wait, you moved to LA and then you did you not you worked at Tower Records, correct? I did. Yeah. Which one? Which one? Westwood? Uh no, the one in Pasadena. Oh, mm. nice. Yeah. 
Poor, I actually, poor Tower Records. I was so naive about L.A. We looked at a map and... No uh, shit, that's exactly what I did. I moved to Pasadena when I came out here. Because I thought it would be a transitional, but I, at first, I, this is the best. I looked at a map and I thought, well, what's, what's L.A. adjacent, but, you know, still uh, sort of, you know, close to it? I know. Here, look at this on the map. Oxnard. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody who'd been said, no, no, not Oxnard. Were, did you, was the scale off? Did you not see? Well, it was uh, like a full map. So, oh, yeah. you know, it was just very tiny. Yeah. It looked right close to it, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, compared to Idaho, it's L.A. adjacent. It is. Mm. It is. It's Any- in the same state. <laughs> such a weird thing, though. Anywhere else, you're like 12 miles away from the center of Los Angeles. You're going to be there in 15 minutes, no problem. And then yeah. Oh, yeah. No, LA, everything in LA is traffic far. 45 minutes. To an but hour. Pasadena was a good sort of middle yeah. play. I mean, I la- you know, six months, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, Silver Lake. That's where I need to be. Yeah, if you I were- was in San Pedro, and it was just uh, it's like, it's just one freeway right up into Hol- like, you know, Los Angeles. <laughs> if, you live in, if you live in East Los Angeles, and someone poisoned you, and they said, every day you have to drive to Santa Monica to get the antidote, after about four days, you'd go, ah, I had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that, like, even anywhere to Santa Monica is just, that's like the hell drive. Have you ever, like, worked in Santa Monica? No, I just, I even avoid meetings in Santa Monica. Yeah. Mosier's doing that now. He's driving into Santa Monica for yeah, work. He and he's like very hours in a car a day, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's a little fucked off about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As well, he should be. But, I, you know, I, actually, Tower Records was a great place to work yeah because it was like it was a, because it was perceived as being a cool job even though they paid you two dollars an hour to work mm. there it's kind of like marvel it's like hey it's tower records you want to work here right <laughs> yeah you're we're doing you a favor that's yeah. most record stores though it is yeah. it is and who got the last laugh on them those fuckers <laughs> uh-huh. um but it was a very much a melting pot of like different you know people and you know, I mean, different races all. And coming from Tennessee, I was like, wow, you know, black guys like comics. You know, I I'd <laughs> never met any that was, that, you know, that it was into what I was into or girls like comics. It was so out of my range of experience that, you know, that Tower Records gig for, I don't know, it's probably lasted about a year there. So it was pretty good. It was like really eye opening of like, wow, this is this is why I moved to L.A. To I like the eye opening cultural experience you had in Pasadena. Yes. <laughs> well, but compared to Memphis. Oh, yeah. It yeah, really yeah. is. I mean, Memphis is a is a big, small town. And for all of the things that are great about it, it's still very much there's a great racial divide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you and and thank God. Is you it know, really a great racial divide? Though? Okay, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good racial divide. <laughs> I mean, I mean, great is an expansive. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it it just you forget sometimes. I mean, thank God my family's not this way, but you know, you go back and then you just kind of see what what you just get used to living in Los Angeles yeah. or New York, where you're like, oh no, everyone's cool with everybody. You know, like yeah, there's no big yeah, no one cares. and and there it's like an issue. And it's like there are issues there. There are racial, there are actual racial issues in 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 parts of the South. And I'm not shitting. I fucking I love this. I love so many things about the South. But that is one area where it's like, oh yeah, there are black people and there are white people, and they a lot of times do not cohabitate in certain in certain ways. And it just feels, if you know, it, you, I guess if you live there, you're used to it. But as an outsider, when I go there, I feel the tension. But it's also like a weird thing of like you go back and also people are very friendly, much more friendly than they are yeah. on, the, on the coast. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. But underneath that friendliness is a horrible Well, if you're in their group, you know, if you're in their group, yeah. 
but but that's the other thing about 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 southern culture is being very outwardly polite but if you do have something bad to say about someone you know it's uh it's bad but it's hit they they keep it down yeah it's I the funny thing is even when I lived there I didn't even talk to the other guys in the comic book store and I would go to buy comics it was not like I didn't feel like ah, I'm with my people there either I mean I feel like it's a kind of a thing about the south where everyone's very sort of in their own space even if you're amongst your own kind you're yeah. still very guarded and it's it's polite and congenial, but it's there's not real connection between people. Yeah, when know? I when I lived when I lived in Memphis, there were really two main racial groups. There were black people, there were white people. There was a small Asian population, which I think has probably grown a little bit. But population. now, <laughs> population. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, but now there's a growing Latino population because of um, Tunica, Mississippi, right? And uh, the casinos. A lot of Latinos have uh, have migrated to the South to work. You know, because this whole industry sprung up, and so now there's actually a Latino population. Uh, Chris, those are Native Americans. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so now you actually have like you have like Mexican restaurant, like authentic Mexican restaurants in the South, and it was never that way when I was growing up. It was really just just, just Casa Vega, just <laughs> 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 Casa local reference. Is that what it was? That was Casa Vega. There's a Casa Vega was... in Ventura, though. That's really oh, good. Okay, no, there was something else. It was, but it was the one place. Taco Tico. No, no, no. It wasn't quite that. But it was. Well, like, there was, there was. Uh, it was just down from Overton Square. It was. There's like, a place called Gertrude and Gonzalez, which I think was uh, sort of like the, a Friday, a TGI Fridays of Mexican food <laughs> and German food <laughs> and German. <laughs> God, I remember. I can't. I wish I remember what this place was called because I Taco took Schnitzel. Some, I took I took somebody back who lived in L.A. when I visited, and I was like, "Oh, we're gonna go to this great Mexican place." Yeah. And they were like, this place sucks. <laughs> this food is terrible. And I'm there with all my Memphis homies that still live there. And they're like, yes, it's great Mexican food. And the person from L.A. was like, this is that happened to me. Shit. That happened to me when I went back to Hawaii. There was this place I would always go to. I was like, this is the best Mexican in, in Hawaii. And uh, I went back after living here a few years. And I was like, what was I thinking? This yeah, is right. like borderline Taco Bell. This is just the, <laughs> the worst place. And I would always get so excited. My parents were like, we're going to La Cantina. I was like, all right. Yeah. And it was just disgusting. It was just yeah. the worst. And there's still no real good Mexican food in One Hawaii. step above, like, frozen microwave taquitos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of frost on some of them. Yeah. But Memphis has the rendezvous. The rendezvous is great. I mean, there's the barbecue in Memphis. You just can't. It just nowhere else can replicate. I mean, obviously, Texas has great barbecue, but it's very specific to Texas. Memphis barbecue is just very, very, very specific, and it's really hard. It's it very more, hard to replicate is it more that. more the sauce, more the vinegar? Is it... I don't know what it is. It's just the sauce is tangy in a certain way. I, I don't know well, what... I don't know how to describe and the it. the rendezvous just, and also Corky's, which is now more of a chain. They yeah. do the dry rub, which was excellent. Yeah, there's a Corky's in the airport, in the Memphis airport. And yeah. I remember stopping over... I just lay over Memphis for like 45 minutes and I fucking ran to the terminal with Corky's <laughs> and like shoved it in my face. You know, you can order that shit online. Yeah, they, dry, yeah they, they, they ship it in dry ice. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's, I, I, I kind of miss that shit. But, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that everyone in the South is racist. It's not like that. It's just that, that racial relationships, race relationships are very different to, I believe, what we are accustomed to. But it's also just what you're saying. If you are there your whole life, it you either reconcile with it if you're outraged, or it's just it's just is what it is. You have yeah. to go away and come back and see it through you know a new perspective to know how bad it is. They don't think it's bad. No, they think it's fine. Yeah. And even you know the most tolerant individuals who happen to live there, 
probably just have somehow it's not like they put blinders on, but it's just it's when it's your life, when it's just around you. Right. You just you kind of assimilate. Let's go just, back and make some changes. <laughs> Come on, guys. Bring the recording equipment. <laughs> A podcast will fix everything that ails you, Memphis. Yeah, right. Uh, but I but you know it's it's still it's a lovely city and I actually really you know I enjoyed going back there and you know it was good it to shout out to all the Memphians listening Memphians do you there. remember when you were when you wrote that Rock 103 submission to DC when you were 15 do you remember what the story was I do it was what a was Batman it? story it was about a um, grave robber who was hitting all of the rich people in Gotham City and eventually hits his parents who were buried oh. you know? and. Uh, the dilemma was he's, he, he knows about this grave robber, so he's, he's scoping out his own parents' grave to make sure that they are untouched. But a, another emergency happens in Gotham City that he has to go and take care of, and while he's gone taking care of that, that's exactly when his parents... Graves. Did that guy stage yeah. the other emergency? To, to, no, to... I wasn't quite that clever. It was, <laughs> it was a fluke of happenstance. Oh, okay. was, Plus, that guy wouldn't know that Bruce Wayne was Batman. That's true, too. That's oh, true yeah, too. of course. Duh. Yeah. Well, then there's that. It doesn't say, <laughs> you know, Thomas Wayne, Batman's dad. It doesn't say that yeah. on the YouTube. Did channel. you see the? Uh, I think it's. I think it's the Above Average's YouTube channel. Did you see the Dark Knight and '60s Robin? I watched it. Oh God! Yeah. You told me Fucking that. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's the Dark Knight fighting Bane. And like you're going down and oh Bradman, blah 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 blah. And then mm. like sixties Robin comes in, like gee Willigers. Yeah. It's a fucking amazing. <laughs> Holy inexplicable Yeah, 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 yeah. They did it, they did it. She's just like Burt Ward mm. fucking Robin. <laughs> and uh and it was so it was really well done. Fucking fucking hilarious. Wow. I always wondered about Batman that did he really care about anything outside of Gotham City? No. Just the like he could see something like in the the New Jersey. Or the Brooklyn of uh, Gotham City, and he's just like, ah, I wish I could do something. Yeah, he didn't cross the river. He's basically a sociopath. I mean, Batman is a sociopath, right? I mean, he has no. Yes. Does does you know? I know that they've. I know that over over the well, really, he was a detective and then a sociopath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's how it happens. But uh, but you know, but it's a character that you know clearly like. You know, when they pitched Dexter, they were like, well, it's Batman, but he's just a guy, you know? Well, I, mean, I find it interesting, and, and uh, this was in a comic once where um, they pointed out that first there was, it wasn't like there was the Joker, Penguin, Riddler, Two-Face all running around, and Batman then showed up. Batman shows up first, and then suddenly all these homicidal maniacs and murderers and, you know, supervillains show up. Right. So he's actually like this weird catalyst for how bad, I mean, how bad, and Gotham might have been bad. He gives them gusto. But once he mm. showed up, it got a lot worse. We're like, hey, I guess we should be wearing masks too. Exactly. I think, I think they bring that up in Batman Begins. He's like, you change, you, you change things. People are starting to... Oh, you know. no, well, no, that was the Dark Knight, the Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight. He does say that, the Joker. He's like, yeah, yeah thanks no, to I you. Think even um, even uh, Commissioner Gordon says that at the end of Batman Begins. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Commissioner Gordon, what does he know? <laughs> <laughs> so Mustaches. Yeah. I love, but uh, that's a pretty cool story for a 15-year-old. Well, the best part was I sent it into D.C. and uh, got a form letter back, as you do, but I didn't tell him how old I was, but the form letter had a handwritten little note from the editor-in-chief that said, this was pretty good, but we can't, we're not going to buy a Batman story from you because we've got guys who write Batman for us, like Frank Miller. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he said, but maybe you should pitch an original series idea 
And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. You could have been a wonderkin. Well, I wasn't, though, and I knew that. All right. So. <laughs> uh, there's a series of grave robbings, and original character Frogman <laughs> has to black, <laughs> try to track man. down. <laughs> I wasn't even that smart. I was just very freaked out. I was like, I was like happy to get the note of encouragement. And this is like a famous editor at DC in the 80s, but I was like, no way. I'm going to go back to I did like, then I started doing like small press black and white stuff and I, I just I knew better I didn't want to be because there are guys who broke in when they were teenagers right and it did not end up well for them I don't think you know because you get you just got to live a life first I think right. yeah. you know? do you would you recommend now that someone uh, go the indie route or uh, self-publish or or try to get a job at one of the big companies to learn I mean or is it no, no. I mean, with the with the internet, I mean, you can just make comics and put them up on your web page or sure. whatever. And so that's that's the most important thing is just to make. comics. But is there any is there any benefit to learning? Uh, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I see creative people and they go, "Man, the system, fuck, fuck the system." And it's like, yeah, but sometimes the system can be beneficial in the sense that it trains you. Like, if you can function within the system. And roadblocks and having to figure out how to get around stuff. Sometimes that does force you to be a little more creative, right? So that when you do go out on your own, you kind of understand, you know. Yeah, and we all the you know man of action guys, we cut our teeth on those big company franchises. I mean, we 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 went through the system first, and you know, it, it was sort of like a it was like a two way street. We exploited each other. They got our labor, and we got the heat that you get from working on a recognizable property right you know so we we used each other in a in the most healthy way i think (laughs) (laughs) but now i mean i don't know if i would consider i probably wouldn't consider since i've already done it i I don't know if i would go back and write superman as a regular you know gig yeah because i've done it and also i i I did it already so i wouldn't have to do it again i kind of did it's kind of like putting in your time in the salt mines yeah and then i sort of moved out so that now when i do a creator-owned book at Image, I have enough of a name that it gets a fair shot in the marketplace. Sure. That's what I worked for all along. That's what everybody, I think our generation, you know, uh, of of creative people put in our time in sort of the corporate environments, that, the opportunities became available to us as much as we could. You did it. We all do it. So you can then strike out. And even if you kind of have to start at the bottom again, you have some knowledge. You have a bit of a brand. Yeah, which, I've been there. You know, yeah, exactly. And then you build it back up again. Yeah. But you're creating your own space to exist in, and that I mean that's a I mean that's a huge deal. You know. I mean I think it, they're the next generation after us. I think will learn those lessons and think you know I don't have to go and work for Marvel or DC in the right. case of comics. I can make my own comic and get it out there and build my brand and and. You should start when you're young and don't have any real responsibilities because that's when you are supposed to be an artist right? and just purely creative. And then you kind of, hopefully you go through the mill and don't get chewed up and spit out too bad. Like <laughs> you can get back to being an artist again. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've seen um, this thing that Seinfeld's doing, this uh, conversation with, with comedians. Co- yeah, with comedians. Yeah. Cars yeah. I mean, that's just his pure creative instinct to do something I mean, that's he, his I, I think that's like his podcast it is yeah it totally is it totally is and and uh you know he's not you know you, he, he's giving it out for free anybody can see it 
he's are, he's gone through the the process of you know if you want to call it selling out he sold out big time <laughs> cashed <laughs> in huge and now he just does things it seems like from a purely creative place yeah you know yeah so, he doesn't have to do stand up but he still he doesn't have to do anything do he, he doesn't have to sit on his ass and do nothing but when he does something you can tell it's just because he wants to do it you know i was i was uh you know i look at it just sort of making a parallel i look at a show like the Simpsons, and it's mm-hmm. just sort of, sort of the South Park joke. Like, the Simpsons already did it, and even within their own universe, like we have fucking done everything, right? You know. But then you, you know, you look at a character like Superman, or you look at the X Men, and you go, "What the fuck can I do with these characters that haven't been like?" Yeah. So when when you kind of get to that place, you know, just some advice for young writers: is it, um, do you think concept, or you go, no, no, now I just have to write, you know, like human experience stories that are very specific like where does your brain go to try to carve new pathways you know when you were up against that kind of thing you mean when you're writing like a company character when you're writing a a company character that's like there's a ton of canon and even though it's like you know it's splintered and well there's this version of this and this series of this i mean like there's still some generally recognized uh consistencies well i'll give you an example what i did i wrote superman for about three and a half years and just was I was just kind of writing Superman. But then in my last year, I knew it was going to be my last year on the book. And I thought, well, what can I do? What have I not done? And luckily, comics were sort of out of the phase of doing these big crossover events where if you're on a monthly book, you, your book would kind of get hijacked every year for about three months. We have to tie into this bigger story. Yeah. Well, they weren't doing those at the time. This was about 2003, 2004. So I had a, a year free and clear on Superman where I could kind of do what I want. I didn't have to telegraph any big overall DC events. So I thought, all right, I'm going to do a year of Superman stories where he he doesn't throw a punch. Oh, wow. And that he would use his powers in like more creative ways. And, and, and I actually kind of laid it on thick and, and had him, and he says it in one of the issues where he says to another character, I'm a pacifist. Because everybody kind of, the default of Superman is like, oh, he's, he can punch anybody out because he's the big, strongest one there is. And, so I kind of thought, well, if you're the strongest one there is, why you don't have to punch anybody out. You can kind of use other abilities that you have to solve problems. And of course, you got to write the stories so that you're not writing yourself into a corner necessarily, where the only way out is to punch the big monster. What if you didn't blow up Metropolis? <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh, good point, Superman. <laughs> so stuff like that. Yeah, yes. p- pound my fist. Is Sorry, this, I can't do that. I, I gotta say, though, I, I'm glad you did that. That little faux stentorian thing that you did, because yeah. I think is this like a, that's like a nerdist drinking game. I think. What? Well, you the default of like going into that. Hello. It's very presentational. Exactly. It, it is the. Uh, it's sort of the. Um, uh, I, I have a couple of. You know, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, I have a couple of default voices. One of them is the Southern guy. I can't help it. I grew up in the right. South. Gravelly New York guy. This guy, this guy over here. Yep. Uh, <laughs> these are not very original characters, P.S., yeah. as you know. Uh, um, and then one of them is the any... very presentational guy, which you is I am performing British. now. Yes, I am you also have British. You also have your default. Anyone in the service industry is Mexican. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, no, that's your wow. default voice. You just, that is definitely not. It. You didn't say it. No, no, I am way on board with all of them except for that one, Matt Myra. I have definitely not ever defaulted to that. Uh, now now, like now you you're just trying to get people mad at me. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you always will say, I'm not doing a voice. It's just that he was Mexican. <laughs> No, there was one time where I went to a restaurant in Los Angeles. The guy had never heard of cottage cheese. 
he oh, was God specifically damn. Latino. Oh, oh man. Is. Very specifically Latino, and he was like, "You well, mean like feta?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, cottage cheese." Uh, and I was, and I had to explain. I and I realized I didn't know the point of that story was I did not know how to explain cottage cheese to someone <laughs> other than just the words, it was a very you know, cottage cheese. It looks like it's gone bad, but. I did. The, I was not using his voice as representative of every server in Los Angeles. That was just that specific guy. Well, that story sticks out in my mind. Who so has a very good voice? You have you have you you are making that bigger. Uh, it is strange that you would actually try to affect the accent and just in telling a story about cottage cheese. I, I can't storyteller. I, I it's just a comic gene thing. It's like if I'm telling a story, it's very illustrative to then, you know. And th- to then go into whatever the, you know, if that guy had been French, I would have said, oh, you mean like Veta Jesus? Whoa, whoa, <laughs> Chris, come what? on, man. What? Just stop being offensive. What, man? So he just talks like that because Not he's ever, Hey, man, those over. Frenchies are coming here taking jobs out of our... Fucking frogs, man. <laughs> They're taking... Major D jobs. They took our jobs. They took our jobs. <laughs> they took Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so so that is that is uh, a lot of back explanation. Uh, I like it. I, I mean, I do think it about. is the, the, the Nerdist drinking game. You know? <laughs> Jonah is the Nerdist drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is next for Man of Action Studios? What are you guys up to next? Um, we are we're sort of in the belly of the beast over at Marvel, doing the producing Ultimate Spider Man yep. cartoon show, which seems to be doing okay. Uh, there'll be more work for Marvel coming up, which I guess we can't say yet. Um, and uh, I'm doing a cartoon now over at MTV for Liquid TV with Mosier nice. called Disco Destroyer. Nice. So is, glad they're bringing that back. Yeah. Well, yes, they're they're sort of bringing it back. Yeah. It's been taking a long time. <laughs> I had to put a halt on a real good sort of anti-man joke I was going to say, but I'm, <laughs> I'm working. I'm doing something for this, and I can't sit there and go. Yeah, and then another thing. Exactly. Hey guys, it's Joe. I just want you to know. Oh, there's this character too. Yeah, this character too. It's the apologetic, like, oh, let's all be. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, I was just doing a comedy bit on a comedy. All right. Don't drive a jaguar. Don't drive a jaguar. I have to get better about not like throwing gasoline on my own gigs. It's hard not to sometimes, but God, those fucking those early liquid televisions, you know. Dog Boy, Frog Baseball, and Flux, fucking. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you want to really dig into Mike Judge's history with MTV, maybe probably not so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you hear that um, uh, Terry Crews like re- was being interviewed, and he says that him and Mike Judge just talked to Fox about doing um, some President Camacho stuff. Like start doing oh, like yeah? web stuff oh, and then I maybe develop that. it into a, another movie. <laughs> oh wow! Which I would fucking love because I love President Camacho. Are, are you ever going to get into? Do you, do you want to do films as well? Well, or, or is yeah. that a different different business model? Well, it's no. I mean, it, it's kind of hopefully the next step. You know, it's kind of weird. I mean, it, once you're sort of in show business, you're just kind of in it. Yeah. You know, I don't. There's no ladder anymore. That's the thing. I mean, it's just like, okay, maybe we'll do this now. Or maybe, especially when you have something like a sort of like a Ben 10 that did kind of work out. Right. Or like a Jaguar. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right. It take, when you're driving that, that Jaguar, that you're feeling no pressure. I'm ever, taking that fucking car heard, back. Have I'm you ever heard? <laughs> I'm, fucking, I'm just going to leave it on the fucking doorstep yeah. and be like, please take have this you back. Have ever heard Jerry Seinfeld apologize for his Porsches? 
No. no. Exactly. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I think that's an act compared But is his, his joke? You know, his everyman jokes change a little bit. You just compared Chris and Jerry Seinfeld. I did? Have yeah. you ever noticed how like the uh, the dashboard you on your oh. Jaguar gets hot when you're, if you're like, no? Oh, was really. that what was that? that? I was veering what? into something else. What? This Jaguar? Hey, what? What is this critique today of my mini performances? What is this? What are you, America's Got Talent? Bored? Joe's been sent in to fuck up the podcast. I get it. They're bad voices. First, it starts off with the water that causes a rift between the three of us. He's just trying to take this down. You son of a bitch! He's trying to get storylines for his comic books. Isn't this always how it goes on this podcast? We don't know. No, no, no. What happens on this podcast is I. I quietly poke Matt and Jonah and then just throw them together like two ferrets in a canvas bag. I see. Okay. I he pokes us a lot, Joe. Jonah. Well, Stop it, Jonah. I'm sorry. You <laughs> not talk too much about your poking. Not in front of company. <laughs> Told you not in front of company. Here's a note. Get us out of here. <laughs> you don't what? speak the note. You're supposed to just <laughs> hand them the note. The note. <laughs> we want to leave. There's a, leave. no point in writing a note if you're going to tell them what the note says. I am so sorry. I think he knows about the note. Talk about Memphis again. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> tell hey, them Chris, what about the Memphis Tigers? <laughs> tell, tell, him, tell him Memphis. That was the Memphis State Tigers. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah? I'm really good at would you please tell Chris what their animal would, would be. You well, you went from Jaguars to Tigers. That no, no, no. It could have been anything. Tell Chris that most people don't know anything about Memphis. I was interested. <laughs> and he's alienated been, a lot of so the it was, audience. It was neat to hear. Please let him know he's alienated a lot if of the audience. If all the Memphis stuff gets cut out of this, I'll be disappointed. With, with automobile and regional ju- reference talk. Yeah. <laughs> It's all been ruined. <laughs> this is one of our best episodes. I like the, I like the, uh, the Oxnard uh, when we all laughed really hard. Oxnard. <laughs> right. It's just going to make no sense. Of, I know. Oxnard, yeah, all right, good choice. Yeah. I'm going deeper than when I drive my Jaguar down Airways, I turn on Poplar <laughs> and then get over to Union. If you're having a bean vibe on it. If you need the Oxnard comparison, it's like living in downtown Memphis and having a job in Little Rock. I don't get it. I don't, I don't no, no. What was the uh, now? I want to. I, I, what was where was the military base that was adjacent to Memphis? It was north of Memphis. It was called uh, um, Memphis adjacent. No, it was like not Middleton. That's horrible. Um, Centerton. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I know the military base, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. We've you know, the, 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 the bummer part about moving away from Memphis before I was old enough to drive was that I don't I don't I have a basic concept of the areas of Memphis. But because I was a kid uh, and yeah. I was driven everywhere, yeah. I wasn't really paying attention. So, you know, like I know Poplar and I know Highland and I know Midtown a little bit and I know that the I-40 connects and uh, Quince and White Station. Station. You know, I know the 40 connects a lot of stuff and, you know, but. Or then the 240. Is that why you hire a driver every time you go back? Okay, I don't hire a driver. (laughs) I do not hire a driver in Memphis, Matt Meyer. Do you hire some Mexican kids to uh, (laughs) push you around on a uh, a, a rickshaw? (laughs) The look on your face right now when you're just, you know you're being a naughty kid. I can can see the look on your face. You know you're being bad. Rickshaw. Here's like, uh, I can guarantee there are no rickshaws in Memphis. Casinos. Uh, there was a really good guitarist named Rick Shaw, though. He was really good. You've changed since I got my Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is about all my friends. They're so different now. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, you get more expensive friends, and this is the kind of shit that I... 
is it gonna show that? Yeah, happens? you've got to uh, trade up. I think it's time. Right? Yes. When these guys <laughs> can't deal with your jaguar, it's time to weeks. trade up. I need uh, fancy Matt and snazzy Jonah <laughs> coming oh. here in a top hat. I got a haircut. My hair's short now. Your hair's shorter. You got a little birthday haircut. I got a birthday haircut. I freaked out. I was like, I'm turning thirty. I got to grow up. And then I just cut my hair short. It's the only difference I've made. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way. Happy thank belated you. birthday. Wow, how old are you? I'm thirty. You turned thirty. Well, I mean, mine was more recent, but thank you. Matt turned twenty nine. <sighs> a day, a day and a half, two days after Jonah. Um, wow. Yeah, everyone kind of it got overshadowed a bit because. <laughs> my birthday. No one really paid attention to yours. You guys are young. Because Matt went to Boston and yeah, he didn't true. throw a party here. I left. And then, like, if it were, Emily was like, It's your birthday. Why didn't you say anything? And I'm like, It's not. Why do I have to say things about my birthday? <laughs> Would you just say a few words about your birthday? You would have uh, had, no, you would have told a, things about your birthday. birthday if you were in town and you wanted to hang oh, out. Oh, sure. I would have had some sort of gathering. Yeah. But yeah. I was leaving and no one needs to know it's my birthday. Well, you guys are still young enough to uh, feel Effect like change, you have yeah. time to get your shit together. Yeah. No, no, no. I've, 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 since I was 23, I felt like I've, I'm too late. <laughs> I just, I'm like, well, I fucked up. I didn't break a big. I guess I'm <laughs> fucked. And so imagine living now from that point, another six years of just feeling fucked. Oh, I'm going to get my every shit together. Every day. Wow. Yeah. That's, You're going to do what? Get my shit together. It's good. This year. This is the year you get your shit well, together? I want to line it up for when I'm 30. <laughs> you got to get your shit together like Joe Casey. So I I'm going to get my shit together in about five years. That's my plan. What I'm going to do is buy a 2005 Saturn L300. Well, I know a guy. Really gonna be, it's going to be happening. You can have mine. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> I got a sledgehammer. Does your air work? It does. I'll take it. <laughs> it does. Sort of. <laughs> it works. You got to roll the window down, too, just to get the maximum. Yeah, effect, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Are you, is, your, is your website Man of Action Studios? Dot com? Uh, manofaction.tv. Manofaction.tv. Yeah. So I was really wrong. Tavula. I know. I, we got to. Keeps, it keeps that island. Uh, keeps that island going. Their, yeah, their, their, their uh, domain business. Now because of it. Yeah. Dom- their domain Someone, farmers. not me, thought it would be clever. Like we're gonna, we maybe we'll be in TV someday. So right. Let's have dot TV. I thought no one else has dot TV. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it works because you got TV shows on I guess it does. I, the, it's funny. The, web, the internet for us is so non-existent. We have like a website, but it's, we just don't, I don't look at it. I don't think anybody looks at it. It's not necessarily a destination site for anything. Yeah, us too. <laughs> <laughs> but we always try to get up ahead of steam of like, all right, we're going we're gonna to make the website cool. And then, you know, another TV gig comes up and we're like, oh, I guess we better... Do oh, that gee. job for money, Ooh. and they're like, "We're going to do this thing." And then, why do uh, I need to take a drink? And then a southern guy's like, "Everybody, come over here, another drink for that." And one. then a little kid's like, "Chicles," and then, ah, oh, there it is. I haven't heard that in forever. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. I know. Maybe we should have more of a web thing going on, but you know. We don't. It sounds like a, like a really out of touch like agent. You guys need to get more of a web thing going on. <laughs> you you got to get those viral hits, man. I really, I know. You I need just, to make some viral videos. Yeah. I know. I actually feel like maybe the ne- I'll be on you know on the bandwagon. The next thing that comes along that's cool. You know? uh, quantum computing. Yes. You know, quantum I uh, every time I sit in a meeting and someone says, uh, you know, our company's uh, going to get more into viral videos. <laughs> well. You've just proven that you're not. Our record label needs to start making hit songs. Where are all the hit songs? Where, we're going to be in the hit song business. We're gonna be, we want to be in the platinum record There's business. There was a uh, Onion uh, Onion News video of like a, a report on um, 
like the boss at some company like beating up his employees because they're not making enough viral videos. <laughs> <laughs> we need more online videos. They need to go viral. He's like cutting his body open. Oh my! And he like God. chokes out a girl and he sees someone's filming. He's like, put this online. What is <laughs> make sure this goes viral? Just out of curiosity, just as an industry comparison, what is what is considered a successful? comic book how many units before they go that was a hit oh the well the top selling comics will sell 110 120 130,000 yeah. a month which is pretty good i mean if you're like a fiction author you put a book out every 2 years but you're, and you're not in the sort of like the uh Stephen King John Grisham you know whatever category yeah you would kill for those numbers oh yeah i think the book numbers are I don't even know what my book did, but I remember before it, it before I went out, they were like, you know, if you sell fifteen thousand or twenty thousand copies, that's a you know that's a hit. Yeah. I'm like wow, really? So it's that those are pretty amazing numbers. Those are low numbers for comics, right? And at Marvel and DC, those are like cancel that book, right? Jeez, it sells really? fifteen thousand, yeah. Well, because it's not cost effective at that point. It's not you know, it's not worth it for what you pay for. The writers and the artists and things like that, you know, because their, you know, their page rates have risen just as almost just cost of living raises. But because, you know, paper costs and all that kind of stuff, it's just it becomes a, a money losing game, you know, and, Mar you know, Marvel and DC, they have huge overhead, too. So sure. their cancellation thresholds are a lot higher than, say, an image comic or even a Dark Horse comic threshold. Um, so, which is to say that I do a lot of books through image comics that I own and I don't make any money off of them. Passion projects. Uh, yeah. I just do them for the pure love of the game, you know, because I, as I said before, I have that freedom to sort of, sort of like, if I can come up with the weirdest shit, which most of my shit is very weird. I mean, Kirkman still, when he puts out comics, it's still a stab at a commercial idea. When I do comics, it's like, what was, what? What thought that I had when I was taking a shit today? I'll make a comic of that. Yeah. <laughs> are these like one-offs or do you try to make these into series? Some of them are series. Some of them are one-offs. I'll do, you know, just sort of one-shot graphic novels or I'll do miniseries. I mean, whatever, literally whatever I feel like doing, you know. Yeah. And that's what I earned through working for years at Marvel and DC. That's kind of where I got with my name in the business, which is not huge. I mean, all, none of the guys in Man of Action are sort of are not huge comic book names by any stretch i mean we've kind of had our successes here and there just from the from the fact of working on those big franchises um but we're not on the level of like you know grant morrison or even kirkman you know uh but we have enough juice to be able to kind of do the things that we want to do as long as we can we sort of eke out just enough to make it worth like images while you know, right? It's not. We're not. They're not complete embarrassments. No, but that's. But that's enough of a reason to, you know, like when you sort of, when you sort of look at your life and you go, okay, um, I, I think I just would like to be happy. Yeah. And if I, as long as I can, you know, make enough doing this thing, and I like doing it, then I don't really know what else. What else do you really need to do? Well, you you've know? got two options of longevity in, in when you write comics for a living or just when you do it long enough is you can look on your bookshelf and say, Hey, there's all these collections of like my run on Superman, on the X-Men, on Batman, on Captain America, whatever. You could have a whole shelf list or you could have a shelf full of shit that you own. 
It's your library. You own those IPs completely. I mean, Image Comics is the only company that where they take no piece of the media rights at all. Wow. You, you own it all. I mean, Image makes nothing off Kirkman's show. Mm-hmm. They make they make money off of the fact that the graphic novels have totally exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those were kind of already a success even before the show. Right. But to be able to go someplace and go, you know, will you publish my sort of weird idea and let me own it? And they say, yes, you know, that's as good as it gets, really. I mean, it's the tantamount to, to Seinfeld probably went to, what's his thing on Crackle.com yeah. or whatever? He just went to Crackle and said, I'm going to do this thing. And Crackle said, yes, okay, please do that. Go do it. Yeah. yeah. It's so a good-looking t- show, too. Yeah, that freedom is awesome. I mean, that's, ex- that's everything you work for. So much so that... I made like a little, uh, really low. I took some of my first Ben 10 money and I made a feature film uh, just because I thought, oh, this be fun, you know. <clears throat> and it was fine and it came out on DVD, but it was, it was literally, I wrote the script, we shot the script, I edited it, I did all the stuff on it. And I knew that I, I may go on to make other films, but um, it probably will never be as free as it was doing that sure. totally low budget film because there was no studio. There was nothing, nobody telling me what to do or there was no notes or anything like that. So the, in a way sort of the trap is the more successful you get. And you know this, the more successful you get, the more bullshit you have to put up with. So sometimes, well, you have to be really strong will to fight through that stuff. But I feel like the, the bigger you get doing your own thing, then when people bring you on to something, they kind of know what they're getting. And then, you know, like, and you can say to them, this is what I do, you know, yeah, like, but if you, you don't want it, don't hire me. But oftentimes you do have to educate them that it is what you do. You kind of have to remind them, look, you you want me because of what I did. Yeah. And now you got to get in there early if you start getting that feedback where they you think, oh, they don't understand what I did. I feel like I had to deal with way more shit in the beginning of my career. And now I just kind of go like, well, this is, you know, this is what I want to do. And for people who know who I am, I think. This is they would get this thing, and then they're like, okay, like it's. I don't. I feel like I have to deal with a lot less shit that way now. But don't you think that's partially your own uh, attitude about? I mean, once you've kind of been through it a few times, maybe you relax a little bit and you go, if this doesn't work out, there'll be the next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 making decisions without. It's making non fear based decisions. You don't have the stink of desperation. No, and also because you know that. When you do, I mean, also, I pick my battles mm. and I don't, you know, like I don't obsess over every little thing. And, you know, like if they if someone comes back and goes, well, I really think it should be this. I really think hard about it and go, well, am I going to come back with an ego right. decision or is this really something that I don't really care that much about? And a lot of times I'll just go, yeah, that's fine. You know, everyone should be happy with it. I don't mind, yeah. you know, compromise over here. But if it's something that I really, really, really believe in, then I'll go. Now it really kind of has to be this way, and that's just it. And then, without being mean or rude or yeah, whatever, yeah. and you know, most of the time they'll they'll go, okay, you know, if that's if you feel like it has to be that way, it's actually a good feeling to sort of concede the field every once in a while it's, because it's, you know that you're doing it for because you don't care that much about well, it. Well, but I also feel like, I mean. I still feel like well, I don't fucking know everything. So, right. you know, like maybe this idea I have isn't that great. And if I don't feel that strongly about it and someone has a different idea, then oh, that's fine. You know, we'll do that. Like, I'm just, I like being, I like, genuinely like being collaborative about stuff. Yeah. And I like people bringing their ideas. And I just don't really, 
I don't know. I but I also know that if I do something that I feel like, yeah, I really don't want to do that. I'm very resistant to that because you ultimately do have to live with the stuff that you make. Right. And if you do, if you compromise something that you really, really, really do believe in, and then it then it doesn't go well, then you're twice as mad. Yeah. You're like, fuck, I knew I should have done that, and I did it, and it fucking bit me in the yeah. face. Um, but uh, you got to bet on yourself when it counts. Well, you just you have know? to. I, I just I just think getting comfortable enough with your craft to make non fear based decisions yeah. is a wonderful place to be. Because it just frees you up. And you're like, okay, well, then don't hire me. I don't care. It's, I mean, you know, you can have what I do or don't. Yeah. It's your choice. And you know, fear is their greatest weapon. It really is their greatest weapon against you. And if you don't, you know, if you if you politely don't care <laughs> about that part of it, you know, I've had friends who work in the business and the people will approach them. They're like, are you okay as far as money? Like just trying to find out what their weaknesses are. And they're like, yeah, I'm fine. And they're like, drat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, we're almost at the end of our, we're actually kind of at the end of our time here and Jonah's got to get to the meltdown show. Um, right. but, uh, Joe, it was really great to yeah. have you on, man, uh, man of TV and, uh, watch, uh, um, uh, watch and I am not on Twitter. I want to state that. All right. Record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> there. I got to do the voice. Uh, and in conclusion, I am sorry that I got a Jaguar. I'm a fucking douchebag and I look forward to your, uh, hatred, uh, comments. Fear is what being a piece of shit. Of Jaguar you got. What? It could be the base model. It's not, but I'm sorry about it anyway. <laughs> and I apologize it's profusely, not. uh, for Chris, being a are those bag. plated gold keys? Jonah, weird. Jonah, you're just shaking your own keys right now. No, come on. It's not even magic of also, radio. you're assuming his Jaguar radio. doesn't operate on a fob when he just gets yeah. in his car. It operates on button. a key fob. Anyway, I gotta go. See you guys later. <laughs> what are, wow, Chris has 550 of those. <laughs> uh, I hate myself. Wow. Enjoy your Jaguar, everyone. <laughs> Chris, you did it again. What? You said Jaguar instead of burrito. Jaguar, don't you have to get to your show at Melt Jaguar? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jaguar Casey, for being here. Man of Jaguar Studios. T Jaguar. Jaguar, 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 Jaguar. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I have missed these Friday night dinners. Mm. Welcome to Harvey Gras. At these family dinners, Delicious, everyone. dysfunction is served. I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we embarrass you? It's already better than I dared to dream. They're extra. Let the wild rumpus start! And they're embarrassing. We know how hard it is to move on from the first girl that you ever slept with. Not the first girl who I ever slept with. Yeah, 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 right. You're a regular lady killer. I thought you said it was going to be boring here tonight. No! I really hoped it would be. But they couldn't love each other more. Surprise! Mom and Dad being totally normal. Wow. So, dinner next Friday, everyone? Wouldn't miss for the world. Dinner with the Parents, Season 1. Stream free only on Freebie.